Everybody and welcome to episode number 28 of the kickabout with me chris and as always we've got dan and fran with us oh, yeah. hi uh right well hot off the press we have some news fresh out of the government may 17th put the date in your diaries people fans can return to stadiums on the 17th of may Life's coming back. <laughs> uh, that's the good news. The bad news is, is that the last game of the Premier League season is on the 23rd of May, which means they'll only get to return for one game <laughs> season. Um, but, I mean, with lockdown plan to end completely and all restrictions lifted on the 21st of June, of course, you know, dates can change. Um, that does mean that the European Championships may mean the ones that are host over here might be able to have full stadiums, I don't know. And certainly into next season will be uh, full crowds again. Yay. Thank God. <laughs> uh, and 17th of May, guys, is also the date that we can return to recording together as well. So we've still got three more months of Zoom podcast to come, unfortunately, but we have at least got a date set where uh, we can actually do the recording in the same room again. Unless we fancy recording in the garden. Just throwing <laughs> out there as an option. What, with a nice <laughs> G&T or something like that? I do expect Chris. Well, we could be in Chris's garden and he could be in his house. Yeah, I'd have to get a very long wire to run the uh, <laughs> the microphone out in the gun. I'm not sure my uh, neighbours would appreciate it, but screw them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, yeah, let's hope these dates remain. Of course, things can change, but hopefully if we can all do what we need to do and we can get this out of the way and get it done. It's crazy to think that we've had pretty much an entire season of no fans uh, in, in stadiums bar about, what was it, four weeks worth where there was a few in here and there. Um, yeah, an entire year with no fans of football. It's, it's been crazy. Um, yeah, very much looking forward to getting that over with. So let's get on with the show. And before we go into the usual stat, uh, Statman stuff, tonight is the first time we're going to have a guest on the show. Oh, my God. We are, we are getting big time. We have... <laughs> <laughs> we have uh, we have officially become big time. So a uh, good friend of ours, uh, Josh Brown, is going to be on the show later, Newcastle fan. Um, we'll be talking to him about the Man United Newcastle game, uh, which is quite a nasty time, given that Dan's a Man United fan. And we'll have a wider discussion about the, the club, about what's going on, before uh, Josh will take uh, part in our quiz, in which he'll be uh, taking on me this evening for the first time. So we'll see how that goes. So on with the show. Down the stack, man. Oh God, Chris, he just sang along to it. <laughs> is it? Is, is it? Oh wow, it's gone full. Does he need therapy? Is it? Is it stuck in his head now? He genuinely did. That's the first time we sung to it. It's usually me. <laughs> I've got quite a good one this week, I think. In my oh, so modest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go on then. So West Ham's Mikel Antonio has now scored 42 Premier League goals and every single one of them has come from inside the box. In the competition's history, only three other players have scored 40-plus goals with every single one being from inside the box. Can you tell me who the other three are? I'm fairly certain I can name two of them, but I wouldn't know. The th- I'm not sure about the third. Um, just because I've the other two players, I've seen that stat mentioned about them before during their career. So um, unless they snuck one in from outside the box, and I don't remember it, 
um yeah cool right okay well on the topic of west ham let's uh let's move on to the west ham spurs game and this incredible run of form for west ham is continued with another performance that really kind of embodies everything that Moyes' West Ham uh, are all about at the moment, sort of quality when it mattered, but a very well-organised, dogged defensive display as well. Yeah, um, well, it was a quick start from West Ham, wasn't it? Yeah, in both halves. I mean, <laughs> equally fast in from West Ham, but equally slow from Tottenham's point of view. Um, I mean, they just didn't close down. They just There was three players that could have closed down Bowen for that cross. Um, and not one of them even made an attempt to get near him to try and block the cross. Um, and it was a bit of a messy goal in the end, but, you know, fair play to Antonio for being alert to the rebound to put it in. But then, you know... Sort well, that's, of, the kind, that's the kind of striker Antonio is, isn't he? He's just, not in a, don't mean this in a critical way, but he just sort of gets in the way. He's just a, a body <laughs> in the way. But I mean that in a positive way. Like no, absolutely, I agree. Defenders. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've said this before. He's the sort of striker that can make a chance out of nothing. He can he can turn a bad ball into a good ball just because he's prepared to to you know really bust a gut to get into a, into a good position or put the defender off, you know, chase the defenders down, whatever it may be. Um, and you're right, that's that's the sort of goal that he will score. So it's his run of goals has been amazing for West Ham, not just against Spurs as that stat alluded to, but in general for West Ham. I mean. I mean, if you think about the the way in which the things are going for West Ham at the moment, I mean, we've not had a recognised striker for most of this season. Um, Antonio is not a recognised striker. He's a converted striker that's doing a fantastic job. But even when we did have a recognised striker in Sebastian Haller, I mean, you would argue that he hindered us more than he actually helped us. So it's uh, it's an amazing season West Ham are having. Who is your top scorer? Is it Antonio or is it Suchek? Uh, I believe they're tied. Um, oh. I could be wrong. Let me uh, let me go and have a little cheeky look now. Um, I know this, I'm pretty sure that Suchek's got seven. I think. Uh, oh no, I'm lying. Suchek's got eight. Antonio's got six. <laughs> um, so yeah, which is yeah. I mean, from Suchek's point of view, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about him in a second. Um, but yeah, as you, yeah, the corner stats. So West Ham from set pieces have been absolutely deadly, um, and as proved with. I think it's like 13 goals. I think we've scored from set pieces this, this season, something like that. But one player, obviously, that has drawn the headlines is Jesse Lingard, Lingardinho. Smashing it. Yeah. Another... No, you can keep him. <laughs> so, yeah. so, and, I mean, another quality performance. Celebrations. <laughs> yeah, we won't talk about that. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a fantastic guard. I'm not entirely sure what they were checking on the, uh, on the VAR because... Whichever way you looked at it, it was it was not offside. So I'm not entirely sure why it took them so long to decide. Um, but yeah, on that, do you see anything that makes you think that May United uh, that he has a future at Manchester United? I mean, he's he started really well. His fitness levels are incredible. He's playing well. He's full of confidence. He's scoring goals. Has he got any kind of future at Manchester United, or do you think that the time has come now for for him to move on? I mean, realistically, he's doing better than Martial. Yeah, but he doesn't play in the same position. Like if you know at United, if he was going to push any two players at the team, it would be either Marcus Rashford on the left or Bruno Fernandes at Cam. And, and in my go. opinion, he's not going to be pushing either of them out. No. Um, and you know, I mean, I think he'd be a good bench player, but I just don't think he's going to want to come back and just sit on the bench and get sort of five minutes like Solskjaer gives up. Not after playing every week and scoring friends. goals at West Ham. No, I think. I think he would be quite happy to move to West Ham permanently if the season carries on going. Considering West Ham are doing so well as well. And I think United would be quite happy to take the money, to be honest. 
Well, as far as I know, he's only got a year left on his contract, so there's a good chance that West Ham might get a fairly cut price deal for him as well. Mm. Would you want him? I absolutely would. I mean, I will very happily, I don't know if there's any more humble pie left after the amount of things I've said bad about West Ham this season that they've uh, completely gone against my predictions. But if there's any humble pie left, I'll quite happily eat it about my thoughts about uh, Lingard joining because he's been, he's been brilliant. I mean, like he, the way he settled into the team, the, the, the camaraderie that he appears to have with all the team already is, is astonishing. Um, and he's just, he's been a revelation. He really has. So whatever West Ham need to do, I mean, with the, let's say for argument's sake that West Ham do continue on this really good uh, run that we're on and end up in Europe in some some form, the money will get not from not just from that, but also from finishing a much higher position in the league should mean that it, in theory, it should not be too difficult to get Lingard because um, I can't imagine he will be on ridiculous wages. Um, and I think that, the transfer fee, I mean, 10, 15 million maybe for a guy that's got one year left in his contract at the age of about 28, 29. Yeah, I would have thought so. So, yeah. That's and the then better, uh, the better he plays, the more his price tag will probably go up. Yeah, but I think there's, there, is a, there is a ceiling to that. I think there is a limit to how high it will go. There's only so much you can charge for somebody who's got a year left in his contract. Um, and if Man United have no intention of playing him, um, especially if they're looking to invest themselves, you know, Sancho rumored to be happening again in the summer. Um, it might be funds that they think, you know what, we can actually use these funds and the, and the wages that it frees up and go and get Sancho. Yeah. Well, we need a center back. I'd, <laughs> I'd put Sancho <laughs> on hold, to be honest. Well, can Sancho play center back? Is he better than Lindelof at center back? Probably. Probably better than Magaloff. <laughs> um, and just find out what about England? I mean, there's been some probably silly rumours, should we say, that Lingard could get his England spot back. I mean, I think we, sh- we shouldn't jump the gun too early. But has the train left the station on this one as well? I mean, given the amount of talent that England have at their disposal in the sort of positions that Lingard plays in, um, do we think there's any way that we that he plays again for England? I wouldn't say sort of never say never, but I would say that Southgate tends to prefer to go for sort of younger players. And there's so much competition at the moment. I just can't see... Unless Lingard, you know, sort of scores 20 goals or something, I can't really see him forcing his way into the England team. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm in agreement. I think um, that the England team, it sounds harsh because it's, it's beyond fair on Lingard, but it feels like the England team has moved on from, from Lingard with the, as you say, with Southgate's approach to who he picks and how he plays. Um, I don't see him getting in front in those attacking positions. You know, the players that we've got is incredible. So, I, I don't see him particularly high in that pecking order. So I feel like it would need an injury crisis or an incredibly good run of form where Lingard is maybe given a chance in a friendly at some point to impress. Um, I think that's the only way he gets back in the England team. I think that the two sort of players he'd be fighting against are James Madison and Mason Mount, probably. Oh, but, it's not going to get in front of Mason Mount. Well, that's exactly that. Yeah, and obviously, but you know, Mason Mount and James Madison are, are having an equally fantastic season themselves. So, um, yeah, I, at the moment, I mean, I, put, I mean, I, as an England fan, would I want Lingard in front of those two? No, I, I honestly, I wouldn't. Not right now. Um, so, um, right. I mean, let's just talk quickly about David Moyes himself. Um, you know, he got so much stick when he first came back to West Ham, and he used the line "winning is what I do" or something along those lines. <laughs> Um, and we all ridiculed him for it, but I mean, <laughs> money where his mouth is. I mean, he's got to be in the running for manager of the season, isn't he? 
You remember yeah. when he was off with COVID and that's when West Ham started winning and you were like, stay at home, boys. Well, yeah. No, I mean, he's he clearly he can do it all. He can do it from home and the sidelines can do it from wherever. Yeah, and I think you've got to give him credit where credit's due, to be honest. Like, I don't think anybody would have put money on West Ham being in the top four at this stage of the season. Um, and West Ham look harder to beat than the likes of Liverpool, Spurs and Arsenal. So, yeah, fair play to him. Yeah, and that's what, as a West Ham fan, that's what's enjoyed me the most, actually, is that we have got the ability to mix it up. We can play good football. We've scored some really good team goals this season. But defensively is where we've been pretty weak for the most part for the last few years. We've we've let in so many sloppy goals. Um, but with uh, Virgil van Dorsen at the back... Um, <laughs> He's been he's been absolutely astonishing. I mean, Watford fans must be thinking, who the fuck is this guy? He, he was in a relegated Watford team last year. When we bought him or got him on loan, sorry, Watford fans were laughing at us. And and now, I mean, he's arguably one of the most informed defenders in the entire league. Yeah, yeah. He's, I mean, yeah, when you signed him, I thought it was a bit of a, a bit like us with Cavani. I think both yeah. transfers have kind of gone the same way, to be fair. Both of us was sort of like, oh, for fuck's sake. And both of us are sort of eating, eating our words now. Yeah. And as you say, fourth in the league. And whilst I still personally believe that Champions League is still unlikely, um, there, the, the, to me, there was this sort of sense of the Leicester season. When Leicester won the league, throughout the entire season, almost up until about probably about four or five games before the end, people still didn't believe that Leicester were actually going to win it. Um and everyone expected them to fall away, and then they just they just wouldn't go away. They just kept winning. They kept performing well. And are we, uh, how far are we away from the point where we have to say to West Ham, actually, despite the fact that you're West Ham and you are probably punching above your weight, you are actually genuine top four contenders. This is this is on merit. You should be in the conversation. Yeah. Um, problem is, I do feel with the Premier League, there it's a bit like a a race that you know when they say like runner's wall or whatever it's called I do feel like there is that in the Premier League some teams sort of all of a sudden just run into this wall um we sort of Sheffield and we sort of Leicester last season I know we did obviously stop for a while and maybe that had a massive impact on it but it can happen um yeah I mean Liverpool have run into it hard this year yeah yeah exactly um (laughs) but yeah I mean if the it's just grinding out those gritty wins it's not all about sort of beating teams three or four nil um it's you know what city are doing like against arsenal just grinding out those one nil wins that's what you need to be doing yeah i'm loving the fact you've compared west ham to man city i'm loving that (laughs) um but uh yeah i mean i I saw i saw a a stat that showed that west ham i think are in the top three or four in all of the european top european leagues um in terms of the points gained in 2021 and obviously we're second only to man city in that so it's uh in in the premier league sorry and I mean, even if West Ham do fade away, I mean, the, the platform that we have to build on from this is is something we absolutely have to uh, to nail because if we if we have a season like this and the you know the owners do something stupid, you know they change the way they do their transfers and maybe take some uh, responsibility away from Moyes or something happens and Moyes isn't at the club anymore, whatever it may be. If we don't build on what we've got, then this is a massively wasted opportunity. Um, If you do, do, let's, let's say you don't get Champions League, but let's say you do get Europa League, you know, that's a lot of extra games next season. So you're going to have to build on it, especially the squad to fit in all those extra games. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we, we've so far anyway, we've got away with not uh, having a striker um, or a recognised striker. Antonio's back in the side and for the moment he seems fit. Um, whether he can stay fit for the rest of the season, I don't know. But they 100% must get at least one striker, possibly even two uh, in the summer. Because if we're going to play European football, as you say, next year, there is no way that Antonio can play uh, that much football regularly at the sort of levels that he plays at. So, um, but yeah, anyway, just to finish on the point of West Ham, um, our next fixtures will probably dictate how the rest of the season is going to go because our next six are City away, Leeds at home, Manchester United away, Arsenal at home, Wolves away, and then Leicester at home. And we've still got Chelsea to play before the end of the season as well. So, um, you know, I said at the start of the season when we had an equally tough run that I could see us getting zero points. And obviously we we ended up with like 11 points after a lot of those fixtures. Um, we are going to have to do the same again. You know, we're, we're going to have to make sure we pick up points. You know, Leeds is going to have to be one we're going to target for a win. Probably the Arsenal game at home, we probably need to win. Um, and Wolves away as well. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how how many points West Ham get after that lot. I think the game against City will be interesting. Actually, it will. Um, you know, West Ham, from a defensive point of view, have been superb. Away from home, we've been very good as well. So it, it is probably going to be a, an attack v defence drill for most of that game. Um, and it's just whether West Ham can, um, can hold out get a draw or whether we can catch them on the break. Um, but I think... Have an extra bit of motivation for that game. Sorry? Lingard's going to have an extra bit of motivation for that game. This is true, yep. Um, so, yeah, we'll uh, we'll have to see how that goes. Uh, right, let's talk Spurs briefly. Um, and I want to focus on Mourinho primarily. Um, uh, I may be jumping the gun here a little bit, but tr- traditionally Mourinho is third season is usually the season that things start to fall apart. Um, are we seeing actually the beginning of that happening already at Spurs? <sighs> Problem with Mourinho, I think someone like Poch, he played attacking football and then you've gone completely the other end of the scale and got a very defensive coach. Um I don't know. I think with Mourinho, I think if they gave him a couple more years and he bought more of the players that he wants, maybe he could build something at Tottenham. But I think the way football is nowadays, you know, managers get two, maybe three seasons if they're lucky and they're out. Um, I just don't think there's time nowadays to be building projects unless, you know, your board literally tell you that they're happy for you to build a project over a few years, pretty much like United have done. Because, I mean, Oli could have been sacked a hundred times, but... I just feel like when you get a manager like Mourinho in, you want instant success. Yeah, and I mean, when Spurs built their big stadium, yeah, they then got Jose Mourinho in, and it was it was at the time a real sign of intent. You know, they signed a proven uh, trophy-winning manager. They clearly wanted to take that next big step, and at the moment, you would say that they have taken it, but probably in the wrong direction. Um, yes, they're in a cup final, but um, depending on the outcome of that, I mean, if if Spurs were to win a League Cup but end up finishing eighth and not in Europe. Would you class that as a successful season for Spurs? No, not at all. Bearing in mind, they were in the Champions League final uh, not so long ago. And yeah, yeah they, were, they were finishing top four almost every season, <laughs> pretty much unchallenged. But I think the problem with Mourinho is his, his success is his own downfall, really. What, because he's judged on it or he, he judges himself on it? Uh, well, I think because he's judged on it, you know, you get... A club gets Mourinho in, and I think their eyes light up and see sort of pound signs and titles and trophies. 
I just, I just don't think you know as well as we've been saying it's there's not so What's much that a, word? his reputation precedes him What's yeah that yeah What's that? um but there's the, like the premier league is so hard nowadays it's not as easy as it used to be well i guess it's still that conversation we've had about the top six aren't really the top six yeah exactly like everyone's yeah. just got better or the top six have got worse i rule um, so well, yeah, that's, the, that's the thing isn't it you know when the premier league is really close do you take it as oh wow all of these other teams have really stepped up their game but then equally you can say have the bigger teams got worse as you say yeah Tottenham huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah I mean like the, I mean the stats are, are very damning on him I mean I've got a few stats here on Mourinho so he's lost 15 of his first 50 league games in charge of Spurs which is more than twice as many defeats in his first 50 league games in any other managerial stint that he's had with another team he's now got the worst record of Spurs manager since one day Ramos and he's actually got a worse uh, points per game and win percentage than Andre Villas-Boas and Tim Sherwood granted Sherwood only had 22 games in charge but even so Um, and he's only earned 81 points from his first 50 league matches in charge uh, which is his lowest total at this stage in any managerial stint and if we look back on his managerial career uh, after 50 league matches so in terms of points he had 124 points uh, with Porto 126 in his first spell with Chelsea 113 with Inter 123 with Real Madrid 114 with Chelsea uh, 95 with United and 81 with Spurs so it's it's certainly on a downward trend the last three jobs that he's had yeah Mm. Um, but yes a lot of variance in that though but yeah yeah, are, yeah about the league you know back say sort of you know when he was first at Chelsea City weren't really a big team um Wolves and Leicester weren't up there it literally was your sort of big six nowadays you know he's fighting against 10 or 12 decent teams and um, Everton yeah. have obviously come back again now so it, it is a lot harder than now than it was back when he had his first spell at Chelsea yeah uh, i mean i guess the one thing we're not seeing at the moment is the usual um the negative stuff you know if i think back at the time at chelsea the second time when he had the big bust up with the um the fitness coach i think it was um mm. and it all got very messy um at united obviously it was the big thing with pogba uh, we've not seen any evidence of that yet he's obviously he's had a few uh issues with delhi alley um, there's been a little bit of niggle with Gareth Bale over the last month or so, but I wouldn't say I'm seeing any signs that he's lost the change room yet. I don't know if you guys... No, I don't, I don't think the players have turned against it. I think every player is still out there fighting for him, um, other than probably Deli Alley. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and the, and the other men- mention there was Gareth Bale. Now, actually, I thought that when he came on, he did make a big difference uh, on the weekend. In the second half, Spurs were were very good. He almost scored an absolutely brilliant goal on the half volley. Um, but uh, what do we? What do you make of his time at the club so far, guys? I mean, it's it's certainly not been the swashbuckling displays that we thought perhaps we were going to get. Yeah, I don't know if you saw. Did you see his Instagram post? Um, I think it was last week or the week before when he said great training session or whatever. Oh, the, the, yeah. So this is what I was referring to when I said he had a bit of needle with Mourinho because Mourinho said he was injured or something and then Bale posted that he'd been training. Yeah. And then <laughs> Mourinho said that Bale still wasn't like fit to start sort of starting games. And I was thinking, well, we're over halfway through the season and he's still not ready to be starting games. <laughs> Mm. Mm, yeah it's it's an odd one um i don't know what the 
what's going to happen at the end of the season once the loan finishes. But as things stand, I'll be surprised if Gareth Bale's still at Spurs next season um, as things stand. Um, so, right. Okay, let's... Um, Let's talk about Liverpool against Everton. So a huge result for Everton. First win at Anfield since 1999. Um, and it was a deserving one as well, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. They, they dominated. Yeah, I mean, a very highly uh, contentious penalty at the end, plus a very early goal from Richarlison. So let's start our chat about the, the penalty. Um, and what, are, what are your thoughts on the penalty itself and whether or not it should have been given? I thought it was very harsh. I think sort of Trent slid in for the original shot and got nowhere near it. Um, and then obviously Cavett-Lewin's had the shot, the ball's come back. And Cavett-Lewin sort of, he's run straight over the top of Trent, but then you do see Trent sort of lift up his leg. Um, yeah, but I don't know if that was just generally in the movement. Yeah, I don't know. The thing is, I think the, the ref has looked, and VAR have looked at the lifting of the leg more than him just tripping over the top of him. Yeah, I don't know. I think, I mean, his leg would have been the furthest part of Trent's body away from Dominic Calvert Lewin, and he was already over at that point um, because he was trying to jump over Trent's sort of head, wasn't he? I mean, he needed him in the back of the head as he went over. Um, but I mean, the, the thing that surprised me the most was, was when the referee went over to VAR because usually in this situation, when VAR says to the referee, you know, we think you should go and take a look, it's because they think that the decision should probably be overturned, but they want the referee to go and do that himself and go and have a look. And he must have spent like a second, like if that, I mean, he barely looked, he looked at one, one angle and didn't even watch the entire replay through because on the cameras, you could see what he was looking at. Um, And I found that absolutely bizarre. Yeah. Well, we were talking at the time, didn't we? And neither of us thought it was a a pen and yeah, it took like two seconds to decide that it was a pen. So it was a bit strange, but I I just don't, I mean, I just don't see where Trent can go in that situation. I mean, he's, he's slid in to try and make a block Uh, that, is obviously not a foul because he's got nowhere near Calvert-Lewin. The shots come in. I mean, what's Trent supposed to do? Is there is is meant to be some kind of trap door underneath the ground that he can just sort of suddenly fall down to get out of Calvert-Lewin's way? Yeah, and it's, it's the momentum from his first shot that has taken Calvert-Lewin over the top of Trent. Mm, I mean, luckily I, I, it didn't really have too much impact. It's not like, you know, it was one all in that one in the game. Luckily, it didn't really have too much impact on the game, but... We have seen these sort of decisions where it does have a big impact on the game. Yeah, I could imagine if it was one oh Klopp, my God. Can you imagine the uh, the interview after the game? <laughs> <laughs> I think Klopp might have gone and burnt his house down or something. <laughs> so, but yeah, as you say, overall it made no difference. Everton were, were very good value for the game. They, they controlled the game. Uh, they looked go, good going forward. Um, and frankly, they just did what they needed to do to win. And um, this up and down form sort of continues for them, doesn't it? Yeah, um, it's strange. They they sort of beat teams like Liverpool. I mean, they're a bit like us, actually. We do exactly the same thing, but they're just uh, they're just yeah, it's strange. I would at the start of the season they had, I thought they were really going to be the team to beat, but I can't really pinpoint what it is that makes them so up and down. To be honest, it's yeah, I don't know what it is either because. W- one minute they're they're really good like they were in this game, and I think they also were very good against uh, you guys when they drew three all. Um, and then we've seen them turn in some absolutely horrid displays. I mean, they were very lucky to beat Sheffield United. They got beat by uh, Newcastle comfortably as well. And 
when you watch those displays, it's almost like there's a, just a real lack of effort and passion. So I don't know whether it's just like motivation levels, um, focus. I, I really can't put my finger on what it is, but regardless of what it is, they are still very much in the hunt for that top four and the, for the Europa League. Yeah, they are, um, which is good. I, I am enjoying this season that the fact that there's so much competition, you know, and it's not a foregone conclusion. Um, yeah. Other than you're sort of starting to look like a foregone conclusion. Yeah, I mean, I suppose the, the big question is, is that what impact will the fans coming back have next season? In partly, I'm actually quite happy that the rest of the season is going to play out with no fans, for the, apart from the very last game of the season. By which time, you would think that the most of um, most of the the big things that happen, relegation, winning the league, would have probably already been sorted by then. Um, so I'm kind of happy that that doesn't come in and impact what's going on so that we get a kind of fresh start with the fans next season in effect. Um, But it will be very interesting to see, you know, how next season goes. I mean, do we think we're going to have an equally close season? Do we feel like uh, we're going to see another big reshuffle of the pack as teams now have to re get used to having fans in their stadium? Um, I think, I think fans will have an impact, um, especially on the bigger teams because uh, it has been very neutral, you know, does, I mean, Old Trafford's not really been Old Trafford this season. We've been, I sort of dread playing at home so far this season, prefer to play away. So, as, long as, the, as long as the other team gets a one goal head start, you're fine. <laughs> yeah, I honestly hate that. <laughs> I know obviously we turn it around 90% of the time, but it's so frustrating. Yeah, but I mean, in terms of the win, I mean, you can see what it meant to Everton. I mean, they, I thought to myself, you know, they're going a bit overboard here. But then I thought, you know what? This is this is a derby. This is a massive rivalry. And we love rivalries and derbies in football. So, yeah, fucking, you know, go for it. 22 years since you last won a game at Anfield. So good on them for, uh, for celebrating. Sorry, go on. No, I was just saying fair play to them for, for you know, for celebrating in the way they did. I think absolutely they should. It shows a lot of passion. Yeah, I think we miss that sort of derby magic you know teams going flying into tackles and sort of little scraps and the celebrations and stuff that the derbies don't quite seem as much a derby as they used to be nowadays it's weird though isn't it because even at our level i mean i wouldn't say you're too young to, to remember but when i was um sort of 18 19 the local derby way valley against headley was a huge affair and it was always a crunch game uh, you know but by our standards a very big crowd um there was lots of tackles flying about there was lots of needle and niggle and lots of arguments etc but these days it's i mean if you think back to the last game played against headley um where i think they beat us 2-1 i think it was um yeah. I mean, there was no real bad tackles. There was no needle. Everyone was having a bit of a laugh and a giggle. We were having a drink with them after the game. It's like, it's a very, very different thing. So I don't know whether it's just Premier League or whether it's just football in general. Like society has made us a bit softer for want of a better description. Yeah, yeah, potentially. Oh my God, what a goal that was. Oh, who scored? Crystal Palace. You should see that goal. <laughs> Watch that Crystal Palace goal if you get the chance. Who are they playing? Uh, Brighton. It's Brighton, isn't it? Yeah, Brighton. Okay, so is that one nil? Is it? Yeah. Nice. Cool. So, uh, right, let's talk Liverpool now. Obviously, we've spoken about them at great length um, recently, um, and I don't want to. Try, I don't want to cover too much old ground if we can get away with it. But they have equaled now a club record of four successive home league defeats, um, which that record was back in nineteen twenty three. Um, 
Graham Sooner said on Sky Sports that it was a shadow of a Liverpool team. Um, as a Liverpool supporter, I am deeply disappointed by my team. It didn't look like they had any aggression, fight or energy about them. Liverpool used to be horrible to play against, but now everyone wants to play them because they are an easy touch. Um, well, I mean, what, what do you make of that? I mean, he's not really wrong, is he, at the moment? No, and Danny Murphy An said... An easy on... touch is a bit much. <laughs> Danny Murphy said on the day that, you know, you can no longer call it a blip. Like, they are sort of falling down a mountain. Yeah, and, and I do think that um, a crisis is a word that often is thrown around in football a little bit too haphazardly. I feel like it's, you know, you lose a couple of games, all of a sudden someone's in crisis. But for me, and bear with me on this, I do genuinely, I actually do genuinely think there is a crisis going on in Liverpool now because... Um, it's not just one issue that's causing this. And this is why I think it's going to be very difficult for Liverpool to actually recover because if it was, if we'd analyze the reasons that people tend to say uh, are the cause of Liverpool's downfall, a lot of people will point to injuries. Now, the two big ones are Van Dijk and Gomez because they're the ones that have um, been out for the longest and have caused probably the most disruption with the selection. If Van Dijk and Gomez came back fully fit tomorrow, are we saying that they're all that everything's going to be fixed again? I don't think it is. I don't think it's. I don't think they're going to. That's going to sort anything. Um, there's too many. There's been too many changes in t- in team, not just in defence, um, in midfield as well. Granted, that's you know because some of the midfielders have had to drop back and play in defence, but they've had 18 different centre back partnerships this season now. Um, after Henderson went off at the weekend injured, which is another issue for them. I do think Thiago's been detrimental to the team, and I feel like there's almost like this. Um, requirement or you know because Thiago is such a good player that you come under this pressure to play him um, and the front three have been outstanding for the last few years and they're just not firing in the same way I mean Salah's been scoring um, which is a positive but Mane's not the same player at the moment um, Firmino doesn't score many goals but he will contribute in, in many other ways and he hasn't and it's strange to say but they're really missing Jota mm. yeah they are um, both Wolves and Liverpool <laughs> <laughs> this is true, but I just don't think there's a one there's a one fix fixes all approach here. I think that there's multiple things that Klopp needs to fix with his team to to kind of get them back on the uh, on the right path. I think with this season for them, they've just got to ride it off and almost make sure they finish in the top four, get Champions League football, and then just start again next season. Obviously, get your players like Van Dijk and that back. Um, but this this will show Klopp that you know missing a couple of key players and. They are frail. They're vulnerable, yeah. Um, I mean, they're 17th in the form table for 2021 for this calendar year. Um, There's a real danger. I mean, football is a funny thing. When teams are in bad patches of form, um, it's often the case that you literally look at it and you think, I can't see them you know, I can't see them winning a game, let alone getting in the top four. I mean, the, at the weight they're going at the moment, they'll be lucky to be in the top 10 by the end of the season. But football does have a very funny way of suddenly, if someone flicks a switch and all of a sudden it clicks again. Um, and if the front three of Liverpool in particular suddenly start finding a little bit of form, um, then they can absolutely get back in the top four. But they definitely need to do it sooner rather than later. Because if you look at the table, you know, it's beginning to look a bit... Um, I mean, they are now nine points off of second and third place and five points off of uh, fourth place. And whilst that's not, you know, certainly to fourth place, that's not a big gap. But if Leicester, Man City and United keep winning and pulling away, then the best they can hope for is fourth. And there's about four or five teams chasing that position right now. 
Yeah, um, they probably picked one of the worst seasons to um, fall out of form, to be honest, because there's so much competition for those European places. But I think if I was a betting man, I would put money on Liverpool finishing in the top four. I think they will regain some sort of form that will keep them up there. Yeah, no, I agree. So let's talk Fulham Sheffield United then. Um, Like waiting for a bus, 13 games (laughs) without a win and then two coming along at once. Yeah, and uh, starting to catch Newcastle's tail now, aren't they? Yeah, it's going to be an interesting conversation with uh, with Josh later about this. Um, with as you say, three points now separating Fulham and Fulham and Newcastle. I mean, it's a it's a win that you probably feel does it condemn Sheffield United now to the drop? I think so. I mean, I think we say this every week, don't we? As Sheffield definitely relegated. I don't think we're gonna, <laughs> I don't think we're going to be changing our minds anytime soon. Um, I think they are definitely going down. Yeah, I mean, they were showing signs of life. Um, they've now lost three on the bounce, and more importantly, that you know the, the gap now to to Newcastle is fourteen points, having made a little bit of inroads in, in getting it back. But then the, the the games they've lost, you know, they've the Fulham game was it was a huge game. I mean, they've had some tough games recently against West Ham and Chelsea, but they lost to West Brom and they've now lost to Fulham. So. If you can't, sorry, they beat West Brom, beg your pardon. Um, but if you can't beat the other the teams around you on a regular basis, yeah, you just you're not going to stay up when you're in this position. I know we'll obviously talk about it in a, in a little bit, but I do think they were hard done by in this game. Uh, yes, yeah, they were. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll we'll get to that as you say in a moment. Let's just keep the uh, keep the talk on Fulham for the moment. Adamola Lookman, uh, he's been in he's been in good form for them this season. I think it's gone under the radar actually, just how much of a almost like a mini talisman he's been for them. Um, you know, it's been a very disappointing season for Fulham, but you know, Lookman has been a bright spark and he turned in another good performance here. Uh, got the only goal of the game, and as we say, they're now <laughs> they're now chomping at the bit. They're sort of nipping at Newcastle's uh, heels now, aren't they? Yeah, um, I think the thing with Fulham is they have, you know, they have looked good their last few games and they're they're not a team that I sort of go into as a fan thinking, oh, we'll definitely beat these because I think if, you know, the only reason Fulham haven't been winning games, they've just not really had the luck go their way. Um, And in this game, the luck definitely did go their way um, because they weren't outstanding, but they got the job done. Yeah, no, I agree. Anyway, to be honest, the game itself was kind of what you'd expect from a Fulham Sheffield United game. It was a bit scrappy, not always full of quality. Um, and we have said, you know, that a couple of wins for those teams down the bottom and things can change quickly. And it very much has done. And, and now, you know, there's a, now an eight point gap between West Brom and Fulham now. So it's uh, it's looking equally bleak for West Brom as it is Sheffield United. So um, on the flip side, let's, let's talk about Sheffield United. Um, as you say, things could have been very different. There was a very controversial moment in the game that left Chris Wilder absolutely scathing. Um, I'll have to try and find the quote while we're talking about this, but I know that he was, he said something along the lines of um, that the Premier League won't have to deal with us for much more, for much longer. Basically sort of saying that he's expecting to get relegated, but actually he's quite happy to get away from all those VAR bollocks. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about that that incident involving uh, the Fulham goalkeeper and Jaden Bogle. Uh, what, what do we make of this one, guys? What do we think? Honestly, I think if you stuck 100 neutral fans in a room and showed them it, I don't think you'd find one that would say it's a penalty. Uh, sorry, that it's would say it's not a penalty, sorry. Yeah, and the, the scary thing is, is that this was actually given as a foul on the goalkeeper. 
Yeah, I don't. I literally have no idea how they get some of these decisions. How do they have that many honest. screens and stuff on it, and come up to that conclusion? The thing is, the the foot that he did get the ball with wasn't even the foot he was trying to kick the ball with. No, exactly, because the way in which he's gone down, his right foot is the one that would do the kicking there. Hmm. It's. I mean, apparently. Uh, the VAR and the referees have basically said that it was a 50-50 challenge. The goalkeeper had made the save. He was going to make it. His legs were there. Um, and effectively, that was the reason that they, that they, um, that they decided that it was, it, was, it was fine. I mean, they are truly making this up, aren't they? <laughs> I mean, Graham Souness, I genuinely, I mean, the second time we quoted him tonight, he, was, he didn't have a good weekend really bless him because he, he watched Liverpool get um, beaten and they were poor. And now he, he really lost his rag about, uh, about VAR, but it, I, he was going to, I thought he was going to pass out. Well, he was going to pop a blood so vessel in his Pogba head or something. Oh yeah. If, if Pogba, that would have been the hat trick, wouldn't it? That would have been, um, <laughs> he would have been taken home there. I think on a stretcher if Pogba had been playing on the weekend and when he was in the studio, but during his rant though, he, he called into focus the standard of refereeing in this league and how VAR has actually brought into focus just how inept the referees and governing bodies really are. Um, I mean, there were, there were no English referees at the last world cup. And we're seeing crazy decision after crazy decision that are actually being made by the referees and then being backed by the referees watching it on VAR, such as, you know, the Suchek red card the other week, for example. Um, I mean, do we, do we agree with him? Do we think that, the, you know, that this has actually showed the referees in a much bad light and it's actually brought to the fore how bad they are? Yeah, I honestly don't know. You know, I think everybody... You know, me, you, everybody listening, anybody I know, even if you're probably not even into football, could have made that decision and given a penalty. So I don't understand how these referees that, you know, are paid to do this job just don't make these decisions. Yeah, I mean, are they scared to make them? Because, you know, are they scared of the backlash they're going to get from fans and, and media? Well, I feel like, if anything, VAR helps with that because you know, you can look at it and make sure that you're making the right decision. If anything, you know, if VAR didn't exist, it's a tough decision because I could see that going either way. If it was just from instinct and, you know, the, the referee might not have had the best view of it, you could probably be like, well, yeah, fair enough, you might not have seen it. But when you can look at a computer screen and look at it with 20 different angles and slow it down and speed it up, you've literally got no excuse not to get that decision right. Yeah, no, I agree. And it, there was there was some alarming similarities, similarities, sorry, with uh, this challenge as there were with the Pickford one on Van Dyke earlier on in the season. Um, and Chris Wilder actually said that I'm delighted that my my uh, right back is on the coach with this tonight because he could easily have been somewhere else. Um, and yeah, you could just see in his demeanor, he was like, "I'm so fucking done with VAR. I just, I just, <laughs> oh, oh, I'll take relegation. I don't mind. Just get me away from VAR." I think especially for the older managers, it's probably just a pain in the ass, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, he's he's seeing a game that he's grown up with completely and radically changed and not for the better either. So I think I think we we can all collectively say we feel your pain, Chris. Um, but, you know, it's I think back to how referees, how it used to be without VAR, every team would always have, we would always talk, talk about referees, it'd always be a contentious offside. Generally speaking, there would be no very or very few absolute clangers in terms of really bad decisions where it's so blatantly obvious you're, you're at a loss to understand how the decision was made. Usually they got it, you know, there or thereabouts right. But now, 
I just, I just don't get it. Is it is is it the standard of referees who are just really really poor now, or are the rules now making it harder for referees because their interpretation of the rules are making their decisions for them rather than they're just common sense? Yeah, I think it's a mixture, but I think it's poor refereeing, and I think so. You know, the rules change every season because the flaws are sort of exploited in them, and I just don't think anybody has a clue what's going on. To be honest. No, it is going to be really interesting to see what happens because there's been so... I would say this has been the worst season for VAR so far. Um, I know we've only had it for a couple of years, but the changes they've made have made things quite considerably worse. Um, and I'm going to be really intrigued to see what they do in the summer as to whether or not they um, they make some sweeping changes to try and put things right. I think I'd prefer it to be a bit more basic. I think it's too they're trying to get every single decision right and they're getting most of them wrong. I'd prefer it to just be a bit more basic and just get the clear and obvious ones right, which is what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be correcting clear and obvious decisions, but it's not. Yeah, but I mean, I guess the problem with that is is that ultimately what's clear and obvious to one person is not going to be clear and obvious to somebody else. You know, there is always going to be uh, interpretation from the referee involved, you know, one referee will think that one thing has a yellow card, another referee might think it's a red. So there's, there are always going to be issues with that. But if that's the case, then why bother involving VAR at all? Because if you're, if all you're doing is creating another set of um, another person doing their own interpretation of it, then you end up in a worse situation than you were when you started. And you just wasted five minutes of the fans time sitting there wondering what's going on. Mm. So yeah, I don't know. Anyway, right, let's uh, let's go to a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll have Josh on the show, and we'll go through all the listener segments and talk about uh, the United Newcastle game before getting on to uh, football with Fran. We'll see you in a minute. Hey everybody and welcome back to the show. So before we introduce uh, Josh to everybody, we're going to talk through what the listeners have been saying this week. So so this week we wanted to find out what we uh, what you think the top four will look like at the end of the season. Uh, so Fran, if you're uh, if you're ready, what have people been saying? What are people's top fours in their minds? So obviously we'll go with Pete's comment first because you know <laughs> he's, he's like VIP, isn't he? VIP Pete. Um, so he went Man City, Leicester, Man United, Chelsea. Sorry, Chris, but I just don't see West Ham holding the pressure of Champions League football to the end of the season. Um, Last for me. I know. <laughs> what do you think? Yay, yay. Uh, Who are you worried about in that? Well, I think we'll finish above Leicester. Oh, so you're worried about yourself? Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not. <sighs> I think that I actually do personally think that will be the top four. Um, I'm like you. Is I'm not all- so. <sighs> do I think Leicester will finish above United? Um, at the moment, oh, I would say oh, Leicester oh. are showing more consistency than May United are at the moment. But Leicester, there's a question mark around Brendan Rodgers, you know, with what happened last season where they fell right away right at the end of the season um, mm-hmm. and whether that happens again or not. I would swap out Chelsea for Liverpool as well. I think Liverpool will finish above Chelsea. Oh, big shout. That's what uh, I believe Mr. Morton said, didn't he, friend? So getting to our second favourite sometimes. Um, <laughs> when Chelsea City, win. Yeah, so he went City, United, Liverpool, Chelsea. See. 
it's a big that's a big shout to say that Leicester won't be in the top four. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure on that. I do, I I think that I do, as I say, I do think there's a question mark still around Leicester and whether or not they will fall away. Um, but given the inconsistencies of the of the other teams, in particular Liverpool. I think that's a big shout for anybody to say right now that Liverpool are going to come back in the top four on on, on the evidence of what we have in front of us right now. Um, ben said City, Leicester, United, West Ham. My man, there he is. I've always liked Ben. A crime with laughter face today. No, oh, okay. he put an embarrassed face. <laughs> <laughs> Screw you, Dan. <laughs> So, no, I mean, as much as I would like, my heart says that uh, West Ham will be in the Champions League, my brain is telling me that they probably won't be. Um, I, I, I think that, I mean, if we do, it will be an astonishing achievement. It really will. But I think that our a more realistic target for us should be to make sure we get into that Europa League, make sure we get either fifth or sixth, uh, which is still going to be a very difficult thing to achieve, you know. Um, with the run of games we've got, as we said earlier, and the amount of teams that are challenging for these positions, it's it's by no means a foregone conclusion. We could still have a very good season and finish eighth. It's it's, it's that sort of league at the moment. Mm. Um, and uh, that's it. Suggestions. What how, what do you think, Dan? I think it'll be City, United, Leicester, Liverpool. Chris? I think I'm actually going to go out on a limb and say I agree with Pete. I think it will be City, Leicester, United, Chelsea. Uh, Josh, what do you think? Um, I think it'll be City, United, Leicester, Chelsea. Chelsea. Well, yeah. he's had he's had a good start to life too, uh, too cool at uh, at Chelsea. Although, to one thing we didn't actually before we uh, properly introduce Josh, let's just let's just talk about something that's coming in my mind. Hudson Adoy at the weekend um, mm. comes on a sub at half time, gets subbed twenty five minutes later or half an hour later. Um, I'll be honest, I thought he was injured, but apparently not. Apparently, his attitude was wrong. Did anyone else notice a bad attitude from Adoy this weekend? <laughs> Uh, not really. I mean, I watched that game as well. I didn't really. <laughs> yeah, it's a strange one. I mean, Hudson Adoy looked as puzzled as we did. I think when he played, I think he, he maybe thought in his head he was like, "Is that my number?" No, surely that's a mistake. It's always embarrassing, isn't it, when you come on as a sub and then get taken off? Yeah, I, I, I'm. It was. A, it's a bit of a Mourinho-esque move, isn't it? It's a bit of a power move almost from Tuchel. Hmm. So, but anyway, I thought I'd just mention that. Right, let's uh, let's introduce Mr. Josh. So, Josh is a good friend of ours. Uh, played foot with him for a number of years. Um, he's also known as Shearer. First of all, Josh, can you actually tell me? Because I actually don't know the story. Why are you called Shearer? Oh, well, when I first started playing football when I was younger, I was very shy and I wouldn't talk to anybody. So the coaches didn't know what my name was. So the only way that they could kind of communicate with me was with my shirt on the back said Shearer and it's kind of stuck ever since. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> I mean, everybody's got those players that they've played with at our level um, where you spend years playing with them and just calling them by the nickname and then somebody goes, oh, it's Ben turning up today. And you go, who the fuck's Ben? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean, you mean, yeah, you mean that guy? Oh, right, okay. And it's, it's the same with you, Shearer. I played with you yeah. for a, a number of years like when we used to have the Sunday team. Yeah, and I literally every time someone said Shearer, I was like, I knew who it was, and then I looked on the team sheet. It said Josh Brown. I was like, Who the fuck's that? <laughs> so anyway, cool. Well, we cleared that up. Let's um, 
Let's dive straight into Manchester United Newcastle. Uh, a perfectly timed guest on the show as a Newcastle fan to talk about this with, with Dan being a United fan. Uh, so, uh, Josh, why don't you talk us through, first of all, your point of view of this game? Um, was it an opportunity missed here? Because United probably, were they there for the taking? They certainly weren't at their best this weekend. I personally think that um, we didn't play too badly. There's, there are signs of improvement, but I, don't, I personally don't see that as being Steve Bruce's doing but I think first half we were all fairly quite even second half we started brightly and then just faded off down to individual mistakes and just let them kind of run away with it at the end to be honest yeah, it's it was a weird game. I mean, Newcastle's record at Old Trafford is is pretty damning. I mean, they've had one win in thirty five uh, attempts <laughs> there, and it, it was always likely to be a difficult job without uh, Callum Wilson playing your top scorer. Yeah, I mean, when I have a look at our squad, I personally don't see many other goals being finished off by by anyone else. He is the man. Like I said, when you have a look down the years, we always had that kind of number one striker. And he is ours at the minute. And you have a look at our squad, it's depleting through injury. And there's just not anyone else that you can think will take the step up and be that man while he's away. Yeah, it's... um... I mean, Steve Bruce actually said after the game that you know we were disrupted when we lost Jolinton. It's, it's difficult to replace him, and I thought, is it? Is it? Is it difficult to replace oh. Jolinton? Yeah, it's it's really not. I, I personally <laughs> think that Dan do a fantastic job on the wing. I've seen him do it bits on the Sunday team, and I think Dan Hall will definitely be running down that wing much better than he would be. <laughs> Uh, but like, I think he showed some really nice touches and it's probably the best he's played for a long while. And But the problem is when you got 40 million and being the club's highest transfer, when you did have Alan Shearer as your top transfer, it's a lot to live up to. And having the number nine on his back, I said he's, he is a literal walking target and he's just not delivering what you'd hope he'd be because he's not a tall centre forward, hold up man in the terms of the, well, you'd think it, he would have been like Andy Carroll in his prime, but yeah, like I said, he's, he's more of that wide sort of Firmino style player with, with not even half the class personally, I don't think. I mean, I remember, I don't know why I remember this, but I remember one of his first games for Newcastle at the beginning of last season, I think it was, um, where he absolutely destroyed Spurs um, and everybody, I mean, I, I must admit, I hadn't even heard of Joe Linton before Newcastle signed him. And then I watched him in that game and I watched the way he bullied the defenders. He, he took his goals really, really well. And I thought, Jesus Christ, they got a player on their hands here. Mm. And then he basically didn't do anything else for, for the rest of the season. I think that was the only goal he scored that season. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he, he doesn't really create much either, if I'm going to be honest with you. He started getting a bit of a run of form in the cup competitions last year. Um, and a little bit of this season, but like I said, I don't see him being the guy to get you 10, 15 goals a season at all. No. Um, and I look at the, the stats for Newcastle. I mean, Wilson is, is top of the pile with 10 league goals and then Jolinton's got one and Almiron's got four. So as you say, the, the goals are not being spread around the team uh, particularly. Yeah. Um, and for Steve Bruce, I mean, as you mentioned, that you, you're not, a, I'm assuming you're not a big fan of him. He's now had 850 games uh, in charge of, of, of football teams. Um, and I suspect that watching Newcastle at times this season, it's felt like that the majority of those 850 games have been in charge for Newcastle. Is it that obvious that I don't like him? 
yeah, I mean, it, we've always said on the show that we felt like he was a safe bet. We always felt like he was a temporary manager brought in um, on the assumption that the takeover, or one of many, would, would have would have gone through, and then it would have been right. Steve, thanks for keeping us in the Premier League. Your job is done. Move on, and we'll get a bigger man, a bigger name in. But where the takeover now hasn't happened again. You're kind of now stuck. Well, shit, we've we've still got Steve Bruce here. We, we were we weren't planning on this. Yeah, I, I I think that is partly to do with the takeover happening, but there's also I think that no one really wanted the job. I think it's a bit of a poison chalice, really. I think if somebody eventually does get a trophy to our club, it they would be down in folklore. But to actually be able to be in that position. I, th- I think it's a, one of the toughest jobs to be able to do at the minute, especially for a Premier League team. Because for, for the Geordies, it's it's a trophy. That's all we want at the end of the day is to celebrate. And we haven't won anything no, almost over 50 years. And it's just getting to that point now. I think that the club are just kind of just buying time for somebody to take over, like you say. But it's just not happening. Because if you have a look at our training facilities and whatnot, it's a shed. It's a shed that's been, <laughs> honestly, I, I could send you the pictures later. It is a shed that they've changed into a gym. Whereas if you have a look at the cities and the Liverpools and even the Uniteds, you have a look at their training facilities. That's what a, a class player would be like, yeah, I want to join here because of all the extras they get. It, mm. For us, it is just the passion of the fans. They will love you if you put your heart on your sleeve. But sometimes it's just not enough in today's modern football. Yeah, it was looking up when you got Benitez, um, but going oh. to Steve, it's kind of like going from Guardiola to Roy Hodgson, isn't it? <laughs> I think you've done Roy Hodgson a very much of an injustice there. But <laughs> I, I think, I, yeah, like I said, with Rafa, I love Rafa. I, like you say, I think if you had a look at the, we had Alan Pardew, John Carver in before that. And um, after that, sorry. And I think, the players obviously look at it and be like, and Steve McLaren to add on to that. You have a look at the kind of style of coaches that is, then all of a sudden you're getting a Rafa Benitez brought in, taking you from the championship into the Premier League to get an 11th place finish, I think it was. I, I, for me, I would be in awe. And that's what I think the players were, especially the defenders, because he's such a tactician. He's so rigid and he makes sure that each player knows what their job is. And that's what he'd done. He purposely selected the players that he wanted for the championship to do that job. He then got a couple of extras for the Premier League to make sure that they can do the job there. Um, and you have a look, Steve Bruce has probably got, I'd say, 80, 90% still of Rafa's squad. And that's what's happened is that we've just had a massive stalemate, not been able to move anywhere. The only couple of additions that have made massive introductions to themselves is St. Maximin. And he's just a class in his own, I think. Yeah. Mm. I mean, things are looking a, a little bit, uh, I wouldn't say bleak, but they're certainly not looking uh, not looking great right now. Three no. points now between yourself and Fulham. I mean, um, we've been saying on the show for a little while that teams do need to be quite careful of these teams below them because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one or two wins and suddenly everything looks a lot different and, and people are really looking over their shoulders. So with Fulham's win at the weekends, uh, they've now two in the spin. You know, how, how worried are you as a Newcastle fan of falling through that trap door again? Oh, very, very worried. I'm kind of in the mindset of kind of just... 
accepting, I believe, that we will be in the Championship next season. Just because, for me, Fulham are on the up. They fight for every ball. You can see that from Scott Parker. He's that type of player who's a bit nitty-gritty, who get lads stuck in. And I said, I think they'll get results and I think they'll get themselves out. Well, I mean, they've they've won now uh, two of the last three. They've only lost one in their last six. Um, so certainly their their form is on the turn. Uh, Newcastle have won two of their last uh, six, so they're not they're not in absolutely dire form. But they certainly need to turn that around if they want to uh, to to get away. Um, mm. Dan, let's come to you quickly um, for your feelings on this game. It was quite. A, I was quite surprised to see Daniel James get a start, um, but, re- yeah, but rewarded the selection and got a, a goal and an overall fine performance. When I saw our lineup at the start of the game, I was dreading it. I, like the fact that we had Matic starting. And um, to be honest, I think Steve Bruce outdone Ole Gunnar Solskjaer tactically. Um, I think the only difference in that game was the quality of player. I think if the players had been on the other teams, I think Newcastle would have battered us. Yeah, we've said this before about Solskjaer, haven't we? That um, often at times, because of his lack of tactical awareness, it's it's purely the quality of the players that continue to bail him out. Um, and again, this this wasn't a convincing performance, especially defensively at times with the SS Maguire and Lindelof at the back. Um, I just I just look at that United defence, and I I can't quite understand why, as a unit, they don't perform better than than they are because it's not like you're changing the team defensively every single game there's like this the, the odd change here and there for example um and united are very unlikely to sell to sell maguire given the fee that they paid um i just i, I don't understand you know sh- sh- why isn't Bailly playing because he looked like he was coming back to form and then they dropped him again yeah i, th- I don't know why Bailly doesn't play i think with lindelof and maguire you've got to play one or the other you can't play them together because they're both the same same type of defender that you know, neither of them are quick, so they have to play really deep. And they that's why when you play Bailly, he's quite a quick defender. So it gives Maguire a bit more freedom. And uh, I can't the week who was we playing against Sociedad. I mean, Maguire was almost playing as a striker because Bailly was sort of sat back and he's quick enough to defend any counterattacks. But when you've got Lindelof and Maguire, they both sit so deep, and then the, the CDMs are having to sit really deep. Um, to protect the centre-backs, and we end up just playing really defensive. Yeah, it's uh, it, as I say, it was a strange performance, and, and the goal came from a defensive area, you would say. It was a very unconvincing header away from Maguire, and nobody else really re- uh, reacted. Um, just before we move on to, to a bit more chat on Newcastle, I just want to talk about De Gea as well. Do you, In your opinion, Dan, is he, is he still the goalie that a club like United uh, want or need uh, to kind of climb back into the top of the tree and start winning trophies again? Do you think he's still got that superstar quality about him or do you think you need to replace him? No, I, th- I think so, 100%. I think he's saved us a lot more points this season than he's cost us. I know the last couple of seasons he has been poor and I will say that 100% but I think this season he's you know that some of the saves he's pulled off are like prime De Gea from a couple of years ago um, and people sort of talk about oh Henderson should go and go but you know we put Henderson and go in the Premier League and he cost us the game against Sheffield United yeah, I mean the, the main the main reason that I um that I brought that up was because I saw some rumors today that um Gianluigi Donnarumma from AC Milan, the 21 year old goalkeeper there, uh, is rumored to be uh, linked with Man United. I don't know what you thought about that because bringing a goalkeeper like that uh, is he's not coming in to be second fiddle, is he? 
No, I mean, I mean, if we did bring Donnarumma in, I would assume that we're going to sell both Henderson and De Gea because I can't see Henderson wanting to spend another season on the bench. You know, I think he's good enough to be playing for a Premier League team as a first choice goalkeeper. Um, so I, I can't really see much substance in that room, to be honest. I, I'd be happy with De Gea stuck in goal. And I think having Henderson back at the club has made De Gea play a lot better than he has been in the last couple of seasons. But I think if you look at Alisson, the amount of mistakes that have led to goals for Liverpool and Lloris, I feel like Lloris goes very much <laughs> under the radar. He's not doing well, is he? I see Lloris make a lot of mistakes leading to goals. And even against West Ham, you know, it was partly his fault that Antonio scored. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, right, okay, let's uh, let's move on to just talk a bit more about Newcastle. Um, uh, we've said, Josh, that Newcastle, I and mean, everyone really says it, that Newcastle are a kind of a sleeping giant, that they're a side with so much potential. They've got a huge fan base, huge stadium, so much history and, and famous moments in their past, maybe not necessarily from a silverware point of view. Um, but I just, I don't see, I don't see a... I don't see a light at the end of the tunnel, if that makes sense. All I see is this kind of repetitive cycle with Newcastle at the moment. I don't see anything changing at the moment. No, you're completely right there. Um, for me, it was ever since Mike Ashley had taken over the club. Uh, seasons before then, when we had Sir John Hall and Freddie Shepherd, we got these players in, like your Esprias, your Shearers, Janolas, Les Ferdinands. We're fighting for top-of-the-table stuff here. Like, We've been second a few times, third, Champions League, Europa Leagues. Um, and now, like I say, it's Mike Ashley's plan is to make sure you get that income from being in the Premier League and just take your money where you can and just keep low expenditure. And for me, as a Newcastle fan, I always remember more so the Bobby Robson era than the Kevin Keegan era, but some of the players you had a look and some of the goals, like you say, that were scored, you're just entertained. And that's what you want as a football fan. You want to be entertained. And that's what that was. Whereas now, <laughs> I'm not sure if you've ever got to the point being a West Ham fan, Chris, you probably have done at points, but just where you watch it and you're like, do I even like watching football anymore? <laughs> <laughs> do I even want to watch like these guys play? Because it, it really does take a real toll on you big time. Well, going back a few years, Newcastle would be one of the teams that would be saying, can they win the title this season? But nowadays we're asking if they're going to be relegated this season. And and that's the problem. If if you think, when was the last, I I said the last time I can think, oh, we were actually title contenders was probably with Sir Bobby when I believe we were third twice Um, and third and fourth. I can't remember exactly, but for me, like now, it is like you were saying, a bit of copy and paste at the minute, where um, he just brings in somebody who will be your mid-table, well, hopefully a mid-table guy, maybe a bit of a cup run, but just keep you in the Premier League. You just have a look at the managers that he brought in. Chris Hewton was the cheapest one that he could afford. He was already part of the staff. Then he had Alan Pardew, who was your standard mid-table, bit of a cup run sort of guy. With Alan Pardew, I think he probably was the best out of a bad bunch. Got us into a Europa League quarterfinal. And then from there, got rid of him. You go Nigel Pearson, John Carver, Steve McLaren. And the only saving grace out of that is Rafa. And yeah. they did not agree with each other, and that's why he left. Yeah, it's it's crazy to think, actually, because... Um... 
you know, 95, 96, I think back to the season where Newcastle were 12 points ahead oh, don't. Uh, in January. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Um, they just they just signed Festino Asperia, who was, I mean, I don't think he was ever the striker that Newcastle thought they were getting, but I mean, the man was blockbuster. The man was Hollywood. Like he, he, oh, yeah. he lit up every time he played and he was just a joy to watch, even if he wasn't scoring the goals that they wanted him to. And of hmm. course we then get the Kevin Keegan, I would love it rant. Um, and, and <laughs> I would love it. They, yeah. <laughs> ultimately <laughs> they, um, you know, they threw it away. I mean, you know, we could easily be sat here talking about Newcastle uh, Premier League winners, uh, you know, yeah. in, their, in their history, but since then, I mean, I'm trying to think of times off the top of my head where they've come close to winning a trophy. And I, I honestly, I can't think of any unless, uh, unless I'm missing something, Josh. Mm. But like I said, the only other time that I vividly remember watching football was um, Bobby Robson. I believe it was the 0203 season and we came third. And some of the yeah. games there, I think, I think for me, like you have a look at some of them. We beat Arsenal 3-1 in that we smashed Chelsea to bits at that point. I think that was just when they started to get a bit of the oil money coming in. And I just remember one goal, well, two goals from that man, Shearer, the, vo- the volley against Everton and the um, one he scored against Chelsea where he made um, Desai look average. And you just don't see that anymore from our guys. Don't see anyone take the game by the scruff of the neck. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at your um, your first team squad from that season. I mean, there's some players in there. I mean, like Kieran <laughs> Dyer, that would have been prime Kieran Dyer years. Yeah. Um, Craig Bellamy, Gary Speed, mm. uh, Lamana Loire Loire, um, Lauren Robert as well. You know, he, oh, was a, he, was a, he was a baller back in the day. Um, yeah. I mean, he did have a few few shitters in there. He did have Titus Bramble and Shola Amiobi in there. But um, hey, don't, Shola, the Mackham Slayer, done a fantastic <laughs> job. <laughs> he scored at the new he scored against Barcelona in the Champions League. That's all that matters. <laughs> bought, bought Michael Owen off Real Madrid. Oh, less said about that man the better. <laughs> <laughs> but so no, it's 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 a sad situation with, with what's happened with Newcastle. Um and I mean I look at the I've looked at the features earlier and you, you do have an okay run in from now until the end of the season. I think you it could be worse. Um it's 13 games left and you've of the bigger teams, if you like, you've got um, Arsenal, Leicester, Liverpool and City. Um, so you've got eight games against teams that you, in theory, should be targeting points. I mean, there's still some tough games in there, like, you know, West Ham is in there as well. But, you know, I don't think West Ham are so good that you shouldn't be looking at that and thinking we can get a point or even more. Um, but you do have West Brom, Brighton, Burnley, Sheffield United and Fulham all to play. So it's very much in your hands and you kind of feel like if you were to win... What, five games from the last 13? Do you think that would be enough or do you think you'll need more? Uh, I'm very much scared that we're going to be looking at last game of the season, battle for survival against Fulham. Um, <laughs> like I said, you, you mentioned against West Ham. I remember speaking to you after the first game of the season. We played you and we won. And how completely different do those teams look now from yeah, when that game started? And like I said, I think that's the problem is that Steve Bruce kind of almost got a bit of ahead of himself thinking, oh, like when he had a certain amount of games in charge, he was being compared to Rafa and everybody was saying, oh yeah, look, even the pundits were like, see, Steve Bruce doing a great job. He's done better than Rafa. And I think people are starting to kind of see clearly now that that's the reason people were comparing him to Rafa is that he's, he's not doing as good of a job as you think he is. 
really. Mm. I, 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 I really struggled when all the pundits were backing him because it's like, especially I think Jermaine Jennings kind of hit the nail on the head the other day during the um, punditry. He was saying about that the last five, six of games have been a bit of an improvement. And I, did, I, I really believe that they have been. But as I mentioned earlier, I solely believe that is not Steve Bruce doing. And I believe it's the new coach that we've got in who was part of the Bournemouth team and been working with, um, I think it was Roberto Martinez when he was at Wigan, when he's at Belgium. And I think it's solely down to him that we've changed how we, our style of play and everything. Yeah, I mean, I watched you against um, against Everton and I was really impressed. I mean, I thought you guys were absolutely outstanding. I mean, Everton themselves were poor, um, but by and large, Newcastle made them look poor. Um, they worked mm. really hard. They had quality where they needed. Obviously, Callum, having Callum Wilson up front um, helped because, you know, he was he was on fire and he took his two goals brilliantly well. Um, and it, it's, it's, I suppose as a Newcastle fan, it must be so frustrating when you see performances like that and then you see kind of the performances that you have put in the season where you've just not turned up. And that's the problem. There's too many games too far between the great performances that we put into the not so good ones. I said the last kind of good performance bar the Everton game I remember was probably the Liverpool game when Carl Darlow had the game of his life. Um, <laughs> and for me, that's the problem. You've got to struggle to think back to when there was a good performance because for me, I've, Bruce kind of changed all different tactics, his positioning, the formation, the players. And it's, I, I think there's too much tinkering gone involved there. And he's just now got a coach who said, right, we'll set up this way. We'll press this way. And then like I said, we've started to see a bit of change finally. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, I mean, it- in, in what's been an ultimately fairly disappointing season for Newcastle, who would you say have been your sort of standout performers this season? Uh, I don't think you can kind of look beyond Callum Wilson. I said he, I believe, is the only reason we're not in the relegation zone because of his goals. Carl Darlow has been a great stand-in, but the problem is now I believe his kind of quality starting to show a little bit. A few mistakes. I think the first goal, I think Rashford's goal the other night was his fault potentially should have done better don't know what he was doing for the penalty I don't know what he was doing there um, and uh, for me I think probably our player of the season bar those two would be Almiron because that oh, I love that little Paraguayan he does not stop running I was, you know what, me, it's funny you say oh, him because I was I was going to bring him up anyway actually Almiron because yeah. um you know, it, it, it's it's easy to cast an opinion when you're not watching a player week in, week out, like the, a fan of the team will be. Mm. Um, and from my point of view, when I look at Almer and I see a player that works very hard, but I also see a player that should be still doing an awful lot better. I feel like um, the quality isn't there. Um, and I feel like he should be at least scoring more goals than, than he does. And I don't know whether that's Bruce's kind of negative tactics, which are holding him back a little bit. Uh, yeah, I think it's a fair judgment. Uh, like I said what I think I like about him anyway, and what the Newcastle fans as a whole like about him is his effort. He yeah. puts so much like hard work in, and that's what you want to see. as a football fan. That's what I want to see. I want to see a guy work his socks off and be able to say, yeah, he's he might not have had the best game, but at least he's tried to do the right things. Um, like I said, the guys come from Nebelas and. You have a look how many players from the MLS coming into the Premier League have done 
that well. No, like, exactly. It's it's a very uh, small list. Yeah. He started off very slowly though, didn't he? Um Almiron. I'm pretty sure yeah. last season or the season before, I think like his brother was piping up about him not enjoying it and wanting to go back or something like that. But he started playing quite well this season. Yeah, uh, when Rafa brought him in, obviously he was at the time the top transfer that we've got in since Michael Owen. And um I think same again, kind of put a bit of pressure on you. But then like I said I've think Rafa started to get a nice little click going on there. You had Rondon, Perez and Almiron up front. And you have a look at those three compared to what we've got now. And I think that's what we're missing. Like I said, Rondon is that centre forward who is going to take it down, bring others into play. Whereas big Joel Linton isn't going to do that. Like I said, now we've got the added attacking of St. Maximin. You've got to think to yourself, if we did have... Almiron playing down the middle, somebody else with the talent that same Maximin has on the other side with him playing. I said, I think we could be dangerous, but it's just, I said, a bit of negativity on the manager's part, not really sure what to do. And it's just starting to show now where we are struggling. I think we are one of the worst for the goals being scored. And it's even worse in defence now. Rafa had us sixth best defence in the league. And now we're one of the worst. Uh, yeah, uh, I don't want to pile in here, but you've got the, the joint second worst uh, goals conceded tally in the uh, in the Premier League. Yep, there um, you go. <laughs> so, I mean, you've got a ways to go to be the worst. West Brom are uh, comfortably winning that battle, um, but yeah. uh, it, it still doesn't make for good reading. And I just feel no. like with, New, with Newcastle as well, there's obvious issues or there's obvious um negatives about getting relegated you know from a money point of view etc but you know there are good players at Newcastle you know the St Maximins the Wilsons uh you know you, you um, what's his face Lascelles in defense I'm sure there are many others Almiron there are good players there I feel like a, a better manager could get more out of them but if you were to go down there's a good chance that the vast majority of that squad is going to be broken up and effectively Newcastle are starting again yeah and like I said we had a what I compare this time when we had Steve McLaren and he took us down, but Rafa tried to keep us up, is if you have a look, same as I said earlier, pretty much quite the same nucleus of players that you've got there. But if Steve Bruce is trying to keep you up, how many of you think, oh, yeah, I'm going to stay and he could be my manager in the championship compared to, oh, I'm going to have a whole season under Rafa in the championship? You kind of think to yourself, what would you rather be playing? and that ultimately is why you get the comparisons again between Rafa and Bruce is the yeah. different quality. It's, it still blows my mind that Rafa chose to stay with Newcastle in the championship. Um, it was, I think everybody <sighs> expected him in you know, even the most uh, diehard Newcastle fan would have probably reluctantly accepted that the chances of him staying in the championship were fairly slim. Um, but, you know, credit to him. He, he, he stuck with you guys and got you back up at the first attempt. Um, and of course there is always that danger. You know, you look at clubs like uh, Bolton uh, Leeds previous to now, before they got back up in the league, Portsmouth, Sunderland, you know, these are, are large football clubs with a, with a big history that if things don't go quite right, you can easily slide down the leagues. And that is the problem that we face at the minute, especially where you have somebody in Mike Ashley who on the surface is a great, he is a great businessman. Like when, if, when it comes to 
the, the market where he is with the uh, Sports Direct, and now he's bought Jack Wills. He's got Debenhams. Yeah. When it comes to that, fantastic. He's a great businessman. Maybe not a great bloke by any stretch of the imagination, but he's not a good owner. And that's no. what the problem is, is that when you, like what well, I mentioned earlier, you've got John Hall and Freddie Shepherd who love the club. You could see that from way that they presented themselves, who they got in as managers, who they got in as players. You could see that under the Mike Ashley era, it's always been like a slight bit of negativity here. And then it's just always a few, a couple of seconds away from being a disaster. Well, I hate to, uh, to end the Newcastle chat on a negative, um, but we do uh, unfortunately <laughs> have to move on. <laughs> uh, More so, negatives. <laughs> <laughs> let's um, let's move on to uh, team of the week. Um, so, Dan, I think did you go first last time? I think I think you did. So, uh, I will I will do the honors. So, our teams are actually quite similar this week. Um, goalkeeper, I've gone for Rui Patricio at Wolves. Uh, I think he had an outstanding game, and he's not always been. The most, the, the you know, the, the best keeper in the Premier League, but I do feel like he had a fantastic game at the weekend. Um, defensively, I've gone for Thomas of Leicester, uh, Diaz of Man City, uh, Virgil van Dorsen at West Ham, and Vladimir Kufal, um, both of which played were absolutely outstanding. I could have put the entire West Ham defence in there, frankly, given their, the way they defended against Spurs <laughs> at the weekend. Uh, Midfield-wise, uh, James Madison just continues to to impress and impress. Um, and for me, he absolutely has to go to, to the Euros. Um, I think he will, but whether, whether or not we can fit him into the system ahead of somebody else, I don't know. But I think we should, um, we should definitely be uh, considering that. Um, I've gone for Fernandinho in, in midfield. I had a, a very good game, looked, uh, looked very assured. And uh, Lingardinho is in there as well. And then my front three have gone for Adamola Lookman, as we said earlier. He's had a, a good season in, a, in an underperforming Fulham side. He's been a bright spark for them, and he was good again at the weekend. Um, Rashford and Harvey Barnes, who another one who's been very, very good this season for Leicester. Yeah, as you said, my team's almost identical, not quite. Um, I also went for Rupert Patricio in goal. I was tempted to go for Pickford. Um, the only reason, to be honest, they were very, they're pretty much joint for me the only reason I went for Patricio was so that I had some other teams other than Everton Leicester and West Ham <laughs> um, my defense three of them were the same I've come for Thomas Dawson and Kufau um, and then my other center back I've come for Michael Keane who had a great game against Liverpool um, midfield I've gone for Madison Lingard and Suchek uh, Suchek is almost in my team every single week uh, he, yeah for a CDM he's a hell of a player especially from the Czech Republican League um, that no one had ever heard of. So, yeah, what player he is. Um, and then my front three, I've gone for Adamo Luckman, uh, who's having a great season for Fulham. Uh, I've gone for Richarlison, who absolutely destroyed Liverpool. He was causing them problems all night long. And I went Rashford up front, um, just because I feel like Rashford gets a lot of criticism um, because he's one of these players where he... He sort of he has these off games and then all of a sudden he turns up and he'll score sort of two or three goals or get the assist. So I thought he had a good game against Newcastle in a game where we were very average. Yeah, no, I wouldn't disagree with any of those picks. It's funny you say about the Suchek one. I, I almost included him just purely for the fact that he clashed heads with somebody, split his face open and then got up and tried to defend the uh, shot from Kane. 
Um, <laughs> I mean, it's just it's just so hardcore, and I I love the fact as well when Kufal later in the uh, in the game. So obviously they're very very close, being from the from the same uh, national team. I think they also played uh, Slavia Prague together. Uh, Kufal went down. I think he was only winded, but Suchek came running over like he'd just been hit by a car, like he was on death's door, like trying to get him in the recovery position, like genuinely really <laughs> fearful for him. And um, I think that just endeared himself to West Ham fans even more that he's just, he just seems like such a top guy. And um, I did a bit of reading into his backstory as well. He's got such a, he's got such a weird half to, to, to where he is now in that most managers when he was a bit younger wanted nothing to do with him. They thought he was gangly. They didn't think he was good enough on the ball. And then slowly one or two people started to give him a chance. And every time he has had a chance, he's taken it with both hands and Slavia Prague wanted to build their team around him. Um, they didn't want him to go, but the 16 million that we paid for him um, was actually, it's, it's a record. So he is the most expensive Czech Republic uh, footballer there's ever been or from the Czech Republican league. Um, so yeah, real success story for him and, and the partnership he's got with Declan Rice in midfield is, um, is absolutely outstanding. So touching wood and crossing everything <laughs> I can that neither of them get injured. Um, <laughs> Our backup, unfortunately, is Mark Noble. As much as I love him, he's he's not Thomas Sojek or Declan Rice. <laughs> so, right, okay. Um, towards the end of the show now, first of all, let's get into the stat. Down the stat, man. All right, Chris, you reckon you know two of them, but for Shearer's, um, he hasn't heard this. So, Mikel Antonio has now scored 42 goals, uh, Premier League goals, sorry, and they've all come from inside the box. In the competition's history, only three other players have scored 40-plus goals with every single one of them being inside the box. Can you tell me who they are? I would hazard a guess that one would be Ruud van Nistelrooy. That's a good shout. Maybe not then. So the two I've got in my head, um, one is to me very obvious just because he spent some time at West Ham recently and that's um, Javier Hernandez. Um, And the other one I seem to, because I'm sure it keeps getting brought up because he's on Match of the Day every now and then as a pundit, I'm sure it keeps getting brought brought up, is Tim Cahill. Yep, you're Um, right on this. Yeah, and I I can't, I I wouldn't know who the third one is though. Cahill scored 56, um, and Javier Hernandez had 53. And the third one is still playing in the Premier League. Still playing in the Premier League, eh? Uh, come on, give us a clue, Dan. Come on, we can get this. We can get three out of three here. Uh, well, if I give you the team, I'm sure you'll get it, but I'll give you the team. It's Man City. It's a Man City player. Why can't I think of this? <laughs> Surely not Aguero, is it? It's not, no. Jesus? It is Jesus with 45, all of them in the box. Wow, okay. I actually, to be fair, I didn't even think he'd scored that many goals from Man City, let alone all in the box. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. So um, we are about to get into the first official round of football with Fran. And excitingly, I know everyone's ready for this. I've got a new jingle. I promised you a new jingle and I have delivered. <laughs> oh my God. It cost me money earlier, but I think it'll be worth it. Are we ready? Yes. Uh, 
I feel like I'm in an 80s game show. Tell me that is not the best jingle you've ever heard. I dare you. <laughs> we asked 100 people. I literally feel like I'm about to host Family Fortune. <laughs> I'll give you the money myself if you get it right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Welcome back to Football with Fran. So following the same template as last uh, week, it is Josh versus yeah. Chris this week so uh let's see let's see how this goes <laughs> right so the first player is i can't pronounce the name so i'm gonna read them out just to help Fran out um the first one is Oberfemi martins Ooh. and they have played for 10 teams hell. so try and name as many as possible so uh josh as you are the guest this week i'll let you put in the first bid uh, I'll go for free. <laughs> strong start. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a very strong start. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, I don't think I can do four. To be honest, I'm not even sure I can do three. <laughs> I, can do, I can do two. <laughs> um, no, I'm going to have to say you've, you've hit me in the sweet spot there. Uh, I'm going to have to say name them. Name you three. Newcastle. Yeah. Inter Milan. Yeah. Seattle Sounders. Nice, yeah. Oh, I pulled out. Yeah, the obvious, I had Inter and Newcastle, oh. the two obvious ones. Are you telling me I'm not getting Seattle on a on yeah. a technicality? I said she yeah. Said nice. No, I said yeah. I said no, sorry. Oh, I, said, I, I thought you said no. I get very competitive. I'm just saying. <laughs> No, I thought she said nah. I said, yeah, I thought she said nah. I was, I was like, yeah, nice. Done it. Um, so the other, can you read them out? I can't pronounce them. Yeah, so um, the, other, the, the other, other ones are Wolfsburg. Yeah. Uh, Ruben Kazan. Birmingham City. It was in uh, Birmingham. I forgot he was there. Yeah, yeah. they won the um, Carlin Cup, I think. Didn't they? He scored the winner against Arsenal. Maybe. Was he uh, there when Christoph Dugary was there? Doing, yeah, I think we no Where's idea. No idea, mate. <laughs> um, Shanghai Shenhua and Wuhan Zhao. And that one at the top. Oh, and Reg- Regi- is it Regiana? Regiana in Italy. Okay. Well, strong um, start for me. <laughs> right, this is the next one. How <laughs> you say that? Nico Cranchar. Nico Cranchar. Okay. Oh. Right, so here we go. Think any um, that, um, oh. Eight teams, so four. I was going to say, think of any club that Harry of has been at. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Uh, any, I any think, I, think I can do three. Right. Sheera, do we hear any advances? Oh. Uh. Name it. Ooh. Okay. Um, right. Portsmouth. Yeah. Spurs. Yes. I'll be honest, this is where it gets a little fuzzy. I was kind of <laughs> hoping that Shearer might have a fourth and go for it. <laughs> um... Uh, I'm gonna say 
I'm gonna say. I think was it? I'm gonna go Southampton. You would be wrong, my friend. I think I think I might have one that you could have had, Chris. Didn't he play for Didn't he play for Rangers? He did, yeah. Oh, okay, rub it in, wouldn't you? Jesus. <laughs> Who invited Josh on the show? <laughs> oh, wait, I did, didn't I? Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, the other teams are... How did you say that? Dynamo Zagreb. Uh, Hajkaz Split. Portsmouth um, Spurs. Dynamo Kiev. Rangers. QPR. New York, New York Cosmos. And oh, Rangers, yeah. Right. Next, next guy, I don't need your help to move this one out, <laughs> is Ian Wright. <laughs> and he has made right. six, six teams. Um, I'll go for three. Nice. Well, I'm, I'm two 0 down here. I've got to go for four, haven't I, really? I'll go, I'll, I'll go four. <laughs> go on then, Chris, name them. Yep. Enjoy. Well, unless, well, unless Sharon wants to go five. No, no, you crack on, mate. You okay. crack on. <laughs> right. Um, Arsenal. Yeah. Crystal Palace. Yeah. West Ham. Yes. Oh, this is this is the this is the big one. I think Charlton. No. Five. <laughs> Oh, uh, was it? Was it? Uh, Bradley Wright Phillips there? And... Yeah. Um, Damn it. The other ones were Nottingham Forest, Celtic, and Burnley. Excellent. Well, <laughs> glad glad this game show is going about as well as the last one went. <laughs> glad you proposed this format. Well done. New quiz, same Chris. <laughs> yeah. Right, uh, well, that's 3 0. That's game, set, and match. Will it be a whitewash? Two more players to go. Can Josh make it a 5 0? For the love of God, I hope not, because I'm never playing this again. (laughs) (laughs) Jermaine Defoe, and he's played for seven clubs. I think a pen or something. What's good here and might help you is that I can pronounce all these club names. Uh, right, Shiro, what's your bid? Four. Ooh. Oh, Christ, Chris. Five. To be fair, he's got nothing to lose. He's already won it. Exactly. <laughs> Chris, go on. Uh, well, no, can Shiro do? Can Shiro go higher? Can you go six? Oh, can you go six? Ooh. You're tempted. Got nothing to lose. I'll give it a go. I'll go for three. Right. Go on then. Uh, West Ham. Yep. Tottenham. Yep. Sunderland. Yep. Toronto. Yep. Rangers. Yeah. Uh, is that five? That's five. That's five. Yeah. You need one more. Well, I went to Mill Chase. I can't count. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, final one. Oh, jeez. Oh, I reckon it's just some sort of mid-table team. Uh, Aston Villa? Uh, no. Oh. Portsmouth. Portsmouth was the one you didn't, oh, didn't say. Oh, I forgot Pompey. Jeez. <laughs> oh. 
So the one That's I had bad. all of those except for I had Pompey, but the one I didn't have was Toronto. I, I knew he played out in in Canada for a Canadian team, but I couldn't remember who it was. How could I forget Portsmouth? And then he also played for Bournemouth. Oh, yeah, um, he went on loan there while he was at West Ham. Oh, it could have, it could have been a full house. <laughs> um, Rangers, yeah, Sunderland. That's it. Mm. Right, whitewash um, avoided. Get in. <laughs> <laughs> And the last one is, what's the name of the last one? Hold on. Technical Talk, difficulties. Technical difficulties. <laughs> oh, Teddy Sheringham. Oh. He has played for nine clubs. So, Shira, your bid first. I'll go four. <laughs> <laughs> He's just trying to find that little slot, isn't he? He's just trying to find a little <laughs> slot. Um, I will go five. Enjoy. Have fun with that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well done, right. Uh, Manchester United. Yeah. Tottenham. Yep. West Ham. Yep. Portsmouth. Yep. And I think he spent some time. Oh, this is a gamble. I think it's Swindon. No. Bloody hell, it's Portsmouth. A lot, doesn't it? Yeah. Shearer, any guesses? Any uh, other team? I, I think he scored and started at, well, in the Premier League anyway, for Notts Forest. Yeah, he did play for Nottingham Forest, yeah. Oh, good shout. Was he at, um, was he at Cheltenham? He was at a lower league club somewhere. Um, He was at Colchester. And Colchester. he was also at Millwall and then Aldershot and what's that? Aldershot? Aldershot? <laughs> <laughs> the How shots. did they ever have Teddy Sheringham? Aldershots. <laughs> did he make one he little like, VIP appearance when he was 50 years old or something just for shits and giggles? <laughs> Somebody's changed it. 1984, he was on loan no. there. No, someone's changed his Wikipedia page. 100%. <laughs> That'll be Leon Crittle just done that, guaranteed. 100%. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, no idea, though. Jagarden. Is that... Is someone just... It's probably a Swedish team or something like that. So, oh, yeah. All the shot. <laughs> well, well done, Josh. Not only did you come on with amazing insight with Newcastle, you've battered me in the quiz as well. Oh, it's all in the day's work, mate. <laughs> well... <laughs> So that's uh, that is one nil to the guests. So we will hand over to Dan to try and restore some uh, some pride to the Kickabout podcast next week um, with another guest on the show. But uh, yeah, thank you very much for listening, everyone. Make sure you follow us on our socials. Uh, tell your friends, tell your family about us, and uh, yeah, we'll see you again next week. Josh, thank you very much for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me, guys. It's been a pleasure. No worries. And uh, Dan, Fran, we'll see you next week. Yep. Bye. 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 